Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I feel like I've got a word for us all today. And I believe God wants to speak to these two congregations and I believe to you individually. And so I believe He's going to speak to all of us and help us to know what we need to be doing in the days ahead. Amen. So Father, we love You. We praise You. We thank You, God, for this day. We thank You for the church. The church. The local church, God. We thank You for, uh, God, the church that You gave your life for, God, the bride of Christ uh, that, that you bled for and died for, God, that will uh, sit forever as your bride. The gates of hell will not prevail against her, God. And Lord, we just pray, God, that you would just uh, help the church in America, God. We, we seem to have gotten so far off course, but God, there's still a remnant. And there's still a group of people that meet God regularly and faithfully, God, and continue to uphold the truth of God's Word, God. And Lord, uh, even when the, the, the waves and streams beat vehemently against our houses, we preached here last time, God, we will stand. And this, we're going to stand. We're going to stand against the storm and against the tide and against everything that comes crashing our way because we're built on the rock. We're on the rock. Amen. All other ground is sinking sand, but we are on a firm foundation. A firm foundation. We're on, we're, our feet are, are on solid ground. All other ground is sinking sand, but this is solid ground, God. And Lord, this church has chosen to say, we're going to continue to be on the solid rock. We're on the solid rock. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna continue to worship faithfully our Lord and our Savior and our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Speak to our hearts and change our lives through the Word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Title of the message is, Love Jesus, Preach the Gospel, Die, and Be Forgotten. Amen. One person. Love Jesus. That's what I did too. Love Jesus, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Count Nicholas Ludwig Count Zinderdorf was a man in Germany. He was an Austrian noble who was born in Germany in 1731. He was visiting Denmark's uh, uh, mark where he met a converted slave in the West Indies. And this slave was looking for somebody to go back and preach to the black slaves there in the West Indies. And Zinderdorf was so moved by this man to go back and make disciples. How many know that's what we were commissioned and commanded to do, church? To go into all the world and make disciples. That's why we're planted here in Brookside, right? That's why we got a church here. We got a church down the road. Is we're not just to keep it in these four walls, but we were commissioned by our God to come in here and have a pep rally and then go out into your job on Monday and everywhere you go and to take the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ to your family, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, all over the world that we have an obligation to take the gospel to the four corners of the earth and see people come, at least give them an opportunity to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's on us. And so Zinderdorf was so moved by this, uh, this, this commission by this man that was begging him to, to, to get somebody to come preach to the West Indies that he recruited two volunteers from the Moravians to go to the West Indies and they became the first Moravian missionaries and really the first Protestant missionaries uh, of, of this era to go to the West Indies in the modern era. And he famously gave these instructions that I'm going to build the framework of this message on. It's this. He gave, this was what he gave the instructions for. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And those two missionaries that he got, they agreed to go and leave their families and, and to leave everything to go to this sugar plantation to preach to these slaves 
slaves to give up everything to go to these places. These two missionaries are leaving. They're in a boat and they are leaving the berth. These two men and their families, they're leaving behind and, and, and to work as slaves on a plantation and to be missionaries. And they called to their loved ones and they said this, the lamb that was slain, may the lamb that was slain receive reward of his, of his sufferings. And what, he was, what they were basically yelling to those loved ones as they parted, knowing they would never see them again. And as they said those words, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. What they were saying, they meant this, may Jesus receive the worship from every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. May they may receive the global gospel going into all the world and being preached. And so folks, today I want to use that framework in this sermon that if we are going to make disciples of Jesus church as the church of Christ, church of Jesus Christ, then we are going to have to love Jesus, we're going to have to preach the gospel, we're going to have to die, and we're going to have to be forgotten. Now 1 John 4.10 says this, it says, this is love. It says, not that we loved Him, but that He loved us and gave Himself as a propitiation for our sin. The first call as a discipler, being a disciple and making disciples, the first call of being a missionary, which really just means sent one. Those are people who are sent. We're all sent to go. To, some are sent locally. Some are sent abroad. Some are sent to unreached places across the earth. But if we are going to make disciples, if we are going to be sent, then the first thing we have to do is love Jesus, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And that missionary call number one is to love Jesus. Love Jesus back. Listen to what John 4.10 says, 1 John. This is love, not that we loved Him, but that He loved us and gave Himself as a propitiation for our sins. We're to revel in the wonder of the love of Jesus. You can't love Jesus humanly. You have to know that He loved you. It's out of His love for you that causes you to love Him. And you've got to revel and marvel in the love of God. You've got to know that God is love. And that God loved you so much that He gave His only begotten Son for you. You've got to know John 13.3 where we are told, having loved His own, He loved them till the end. No, let that sink in. Having loved His own, He loved them to the end. Oh, how He loves you. Oh, how He loves me. Oh, how He loves you and me. Come on, will you sing those that Jesus to Calvary did go? Come on. Oh, His love for sinners to show. Come on, that, He's showing His love. You, don't, you didn't choose to love God. You chose to love God because He first demonstrated His love to you. Right? Hallelujah. He is love. And so one time a pastor unpacked John 13. He was, he was actually a missionary. I'm going to quote a lot of missionaries because I, I was listening to a wonderful missionary man and it was just so powerful, this missionary in the unreached parts of the world. And, and he said he was listening to a Saudi Arabian brother who was unpacking a John 13 at, where Judas betrays the Lord. and He's revealed as the betrayer there at the and he dips the, dips the bread into the, into the cup and that's how he's identified. 
God right there as the betrayer. And he was saying, why did they, why Raymond did those guys that were at that table not jump up and jump Judas for being the betrayer? Why did they just sit back and, 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 and just watch this as he's being identified at the betrayer? Because there was something this man said going on far deeper there to the Jewish mind and to the mind that understood the Passover that was going on at that particular place. There were cups there. And those cups all represented something individually. And in fact, so much so that even the cup that was there that Judas puts his put dips in was part of the, of the, of the lessons and part of what they were learning about this Passover that they were taking. And that, that particular cup is found one place in the Scriptures. It's found in the book of Ruth. And if you go back to the book of Ruth, it says in, in Ruth 2.14, when Boaz invites Ruth to dip her bread in his cup, he's doing this so culturally inviting her in to be the kinsman redeemer. Let me tell you something that was going on and why he chose Judas to dip in that cup. It was not just to say, Judas, I hate you. Judas, you have betrayed me. Judas, you're cut off. Judas, you're going to go hang yourself. No, it was right the opposite. It was to say, Judas, I'm picking this cup for you because I'm trying to show you my covenantal love. I'm trying to show you the kinsman redeemer. I'm trying to show you that even though you're doing this horrible thing, I love you till the very end, Judas. I'm loving you, Judas. I love you, Judas. And if you're going to be a discipler of Jesus Christ, you've got to start with the fact that Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. And they would have known in that moment. That's why they're not thinking. They're thinking, man, he, they're, they're saying, he is, he is saying, I love you to the end. He is saying, I forgive what you've done. I love you despite what you're doing. And so Judas, what you've done and what you're doing, do it quickly. But the last memory I want you to have of me is that I is a reminder that I always love you, Judas. I love you to the end. And I'm offering you something right now, even in the betrayal. I am offering you forgiveness. I'm offering you the kingdom redeemer covenant covering that I will forgive you Judas if you'll simply allow me to amen and these guys would have been stunned they would have been saying he loves Judas they would have been saying hey he's the favored one He's favoring Judas. He's being covered by the love of Judah, of Jesus in this moment. And I'm here to tell you, He loves all the people in this room that betray Him. And guess what? You will betray Him again. And yet, He still loves you. He's still reaching out in His love. The Bible says the banner over us is love. And we love Him because He first loved us. So we love Jesus and from the love of Jesus, number two, we, we preach the Gospel. 
We preach the Gospel. Out of the love that we receive from Jesus, we now go and we preach the Gospel. Love Jesus. Preach the Gospel. Die and be forgotten. And this is the, this is the, this is the role of a discipler. This is the love of a, role of a disciple maker. First, we come to know His love. Secondly, out of that love, we begin to preach this glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. If we're going to make disciples, that's what we have to do. Preaching is central to the great commission. Listen to what Matthew 24, 14 says, and it's prophetic by the way. And this gospel of the kingdom will be prophetic. Will be. It will be preached in all the world to all the nations. When he's saying that, he's saying it prophetically. This is going to happen. You can take it to the bank. We must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and it will be preached in all the world whether you sit on your tush in a padded pew or whether you choose to get up and go into all the world and proclaim the glorious good news of the gospel. This gospel will be preached. And I don't want to stand before my king one day and say I buried my talent and I decided not to go. Amen? Look at what he says. It's a command. It's a command. Look at what he says. And the Gospel must be preached in all the nations. And not only will it be, but it must be preached in all the world. Look at what Paul adds to some of you today. Woe to me if I don't preach it. Woe to me if I don't preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's prophetic. It's going to be. It must be. And woe to us if we don't do it. You look like you don't want to. <laughs> about a handful of you look like you, you're really excited about Jesus and the Commander and Chief of our world telling us to take the Gospel. Some of you look like you took a bitter pill this morning and you're like, doggone, you can tell me everything you want to, but I ain't going. Look at what he goes on to say in Romans. I'm just getting old enough I don't care anymore. I have fully preached the Gospel of Christ. I have made it my aim to preach Christ where He has not been named. That's what Paul, that's what we're called to do with this Gospel out of the love of Jesus. We are then to preach the Gospel. It is our aim in life. The Gospel must be preached and it is the Gospel, he says, of the Kingdom. Now when the second temple Jews, they would have known what that phrase meant. It was not mentioned in the Old Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, about the only place we see it mentioned, the Kingdom there is Gospel of the Kingdom would have been found in Daniel 7 where he says, uh, we have a prophecy about the kingdom that will come and will have no end. That's what we see a little bit of glimpse of that. But these post exilic Jews, that's the ones that have been in exile. They've been taken out of their home country, put into exile. Now they've been in that place for a long, long time, and now they're out of that place. And, 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 and these people would have had this fallacy shattered that there is going to be a kingdom. Because they're saying Saul had said there was going to be a kingdom, and look how he ended. That didn't end well. They said David was coming, and that was going to be a great kingdom that was going to be on this earth for the Jewish people. But there was adultery 
adultery. There was murder. There was civil war. And then they say, well, Solomon came along. That was going to be a great kingdom. But there was perversity, idolatry, decadence. And all those people were the good kings. What about the bad kings of Israel? And so these people are shattered. They have a fallacy that, uh, that they, they come to. But at the, at the same time, there's something in that exile that has been to be birthed and born into their heart. Hey, maybe a man can't do it, but the Messiah is going to come. And when the Messiah comes, He will do it. He will save us from our sins and He will set up a kingdom here on this earth. And so they were looking for a Messiah to rise up that would be a king. Only when the king comes back, then the kingdom will be established. Only when the king comes in, then we will see the kingdom of God come in to be restored and renewed just like He said it was. And this is what the Gospel simply is. Listen, God saves us from God for God. God saves us from God for God. You need to get that in your Western American stinking Christianity. God saves us from God. No, He's scary. No, when you are born into this world, you stand condemned before the judge. And I know we got this Western Mr. Rogers God that we bebop and oh, He, he, he accepts everything that I do. But you're going to stand before a God who is so holy. He has no sin. He is all light. And in Him there is no darkness. And I get uncomfortable when I stand just in front of marred men and women of God who have got Jesus Christ in their life. I get uncomfortable. Sometimes just being around holy people of God like that. Sometimes, Glenn, when I'm doing something, if I'm doing something wrong, conviction begins to come into my life. I cannot imagine standing the one before the one who has a crown on his head, who has fire in his eyes, who is so perfect and so holy. I know I'm going to want to crawl down and crawl right under the bench. It's not going to matter that I stood in a pulpit. It's not going to matter that I did all of these things. All that's going to matter is He is holy. I am not. And the only reason that I'm there is He has chosen to save me from God for God. And He saves us from the wrath of God for the glory of God. That's the Gospel. And we need to start preaching it again in churches instead of this foolishness that's coming out of our pulpits in Western Christianity. We're not to preach sugar. We're not to preach medicine. We're not to preach self-help or psychology. We are not to preach cutesy, comedic, courteous, little ear-tickling TED Talks with fire in our eyes and love in our hearts. We are to preach about the wrath of God that is to come and how men can escape that wrath of God by coming to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And that is the only way. There's one mediator between man and God and it is the man Christ Jesus who gave Himself as a ransom for us. Amen? Flee to safety tonight. If you're lost, you better run as fast as you can to the ark and to the place where there is safety. I'm telling you, time is tick, tick, ticking away. And when you keep playing with fire and with this, the wrath of God will come upon you like nothing else. Amen? Amen. Preach the cross. Preach Jesus the King. 
Preach Jesus coming to judge the living and the dead. Preach the cross and, and, and preach the day of the Lord is nigh. Preach judgment is coming. Preach hell does burn eternally hot. Preach now is the day of salvation. Preach heaven and eternal life are to be gained if we'll come to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Listen, there were missionaries that were kicked out of Sudan 15 years ago in 2012. All the organizations were kicked out. And every prisoner that was there... Uh, only, only the people that remained there were taken captive if they were part of an organization. And there was one particular missionary by the name of Adam that was taken prisoner, and he was placed into a, a locked up in a toilet, three by three, three by three inches. Preach the gospel. Remember, that's point number two. Preach the gospel. This man Adam stayed in Sudan to preach the word of God to these people, and they said, "Get out." He stays in. He gets put in a three foot by three foot toilet where there's a hole in the floor. He has to curl up and, and, and lay in bile and, and curl around. That's his bed at night. But let me tell you how good God is. Every prisoner in that room, they thought, we're going to make this man suffer even more because we're going to make every prisoner go to the bathroom and go and, and right there and more bile and more excrement just to shame this man even more so. But guess what this man decided to do? Preach the God. Love Jesus. Preach the Gospel. And so whatever he did, you know what he did? Every time a prisoner came in there, guess what they had to do? They had to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these people would go in. They would go in miserable and they would leave out joyful. And the guard said, what in the world is going on? These men go in miserable and they come out joyful. And one of the guards said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dress up like a prisoner and I'm going to go in there and find out what's going on. He went in there and he's doing his business. And this man, he hears praying for him. And he tells him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells him about the love of God. The guard goes back and he tells these people, I don't know what we're going to do with this man. They decide to let the man go. They said, we can't even do anything with him. Let's let him go. He's a couple of months later on a bus. And all of a sudden, this man comes down the aisle, sits down beside him. It is that prison guard. He said, a few months I was in prison. He said, you told me about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to hear it again. Tell me how I can be forgiven of my sins. Tell me how I can go to heaven. Tell me how my name can be written in the Lamb's book of life. And this man who was preaching the gospel wherever God planted him in a three-by-three -three toilet right there on a bus led this prison man to Jesus Christ and he will for eternally be in heaven because a man chose to love Jesus, preach the gospel out of that love. Amen. And that's what we're to do. And it's a beautiful thing and it's our calling. And then thirdly, we are to die. Die. Die to self. An anonymous missionary wrote these words, Our God bids us first to build a cemetery before we build a church or a dwelling house, showing us that the resurrection of the nations must be affected by our own destruction. Muslim missionaries were on an island and there was not one believer there for 20 years and these people plowed that field. Just like a lot of us have been plowing this field for a long time. We'd love for our churches to be more full than they are. And they were, they were in this place and they went in together, these people that were living there as missionaries, and they bought this piece of land 
they fenced it in and they tended it. And they were showing this guy who'd come in to, to visit them and l l try to encourage them. And they said, we call it the everlasting ground. And they said, it's our cemetery. They said, this is where we want to be buried. We have given our lives for these people. And they said, now we want to give them our deaths. This is where we will be buried. This is where we will rise on resurrection day and meet these folks in the air, many of our local friends. And should Jesus tarry, listen, we're all going to die physically, but there is another death first required, and it's one that we don't preach again. And I hate to keep beating up on the American church, but I'm telling you, we've got a lot of false things going on in the American church. And there is another death that you're going to need to do in Christianity before you die physically, and it's required of every Christian, and it's to die first right here uh, is to die uh, spiritually. It's to die to self. It's to die to self. And that is not happening in many, many, many of our churches. John 12 and 24 says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it, does, but if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Listen to what Galatians 2.20 said. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. If we say yes to loving Jesus, we have to say yes to dying to self. Let me say that about two more times. If we say yes to loving Jesus, you have to say yes to dying to yourself. If we say yes to loving Jesus, you have to die to yourself. No minister gets good news at 2 a.m. in the morning. Right? Phone rings at 2 or 3 in the morning. It's not good. It's usually somebody. And, and, and this same missionary, man, he just touched my life. I've been listening to stuff from him all week. I never had even heard of him. He was on the mission field and he was living in a place. He can't even tell a lot of times where he's living. And... He got a call like that at like 2 in the morning. And it was a man that said their 20-year-old daughter had died. He drove to Khartoum, Sudan, to a hospital. The family got in the back of the truck. See, this is what Americans don't know because here, here's what we do. I heard a preacher saying this, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad, or, or, but, but maybe I am. And me too. Because here's what we do now at funerals. But then I'm going to tell you how the rest of the world does it. And I've seen it firsthand because one of the first missionary trips I went to Moldova, I preached a funeral. And, and so they, 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 he went and drove to this, this, this family's, uh, to where this daughter, 20-year-old daughter was. And he took this precious girl and picked her up as the family got in the back of the truck and put the cold, stiffened body in their lap. As he shut the door, the feet pressed up against the glass. Now here's what we do in America. We pick our bodies up in a hospital where we never have to see them. And then we tell them to paint them up real pretty and make them not look like they're dead. And then we don't touch them. And in fact, now most of the time, and I'm not against cremation, but most of the time we want to cremate them because we don't even want to look and see death. But when you have to put a body of your 20-year-old daughter across your lap, 
you begin to understand the devastation that man has caused with sin in this world. And I think America needs to take a look at the atrocities rather than entertaining ourselves to death and getting the next Netflix thing to make us feel good and the next Jesus movie to make us feel good. We need to look at the hard and long at the result of the violence in our streets and the killing and the stealing and the destroying and the homosexuality and the perversion and the, and, and the fornication and the heterosexual sin and all that's going on in our community. We need to take a long, hard look in the mirror and see what our sin has caused. And maybe it'll cause some repentance to go on. And so they put this girl across this, this, these, these people in the back of that truck and shut that door barely because of her feet sticking out. And they took her to the, back to their home, to the courtyard. And they began, to, they began to lay her out in the courtyard. And there, they began to be wailing and weeping in this place. And all of a sudden, they're in, in this place wailing and weeping as they're coming out. And, and the Lord tells this man, the Lord tells this man, he's sitting back, he's watching the parents weeping. And he's seeing them, them crying over the body and crying over this, this child. And, and he's consoling them, obviously, and he's upset. But then the Lord speaks to him and says, I want you to go lay hands and I want you to raise this girl from the dead. And he's like arguing with God. He's like, no way. I'm not doing that. He says, no, I want you to go over and I want you to lay hands. So, the, so he gets up, he goes over, gets through the crowd of these moms that are there and, and women that are there. He lays hands on this, this young lady and he says, in the name of Jesus, rise. And he said, and I, I'm not trying to be, he actually said it was kind of humorous at that point how he said it, but, it was, but he was telling a story. He said the body rose up. And he thought she had been resurrected, but what had happened is the ladies had gotten off the, off the bed that they were on, and she rose up, and then when they, got, when they, when they stood up, it fell back down. And, and so she really was not raised up, and he said he went back, he left. He left at that moment, he got in his truck, and he's driving home, and he said, I don't know what you're doing, God. You told me to go pray for this woman. And he said... He said, he said, I, you, he said, he said, basically, I look like a fool, you look like a fool, everybody looks like a fool, and I don't understand what you're doing. And, and, and basically, God told him, he said, tell me exactly what would you have done if she had been raised up? What if I had resurrected her, what would you have done? And he said, after a little bit of contemplating and thinking on that, he said, I know exactly, he said he began to be saddened because he said this, he said, I would have gone and ticked off an email to everybody I know, and I would have given God the big credit, but then he said, I would have made sure everybody else know that I was involved in somebody being raised from the dead. See, you got to die to self if you want to have resurrection life and power. Jesus died. Jesus died. Jesus went into the grave and then He was resurrected and had resurrection life and power. Folks, in order to have supernatural life and supernatural power, we have to die to self. Then we can have the power. Because what He told that man in that missionary in that moment, He said, until I can trust you with my glory, I will not trust you with my power. 
Until I can trust you with my glory, I will not trust you with my power. God wants to trust us with His glory. He wants, to, he wants to do that. But in order for that to happen, we have to die to us. We have to die to our ambition. We have to die to our getting the credit. We have to die to our being seen. We have to die to all of these things in order to do that. We have to not just physically die, but in order to have resurrection power, you have to 100% be dead. Dead to status. Dead to honor. Dead, and you know how we die? And this is what, again, American Christianity does not want. Crucifixion. We die by crucifixion. And this is why many people can't stomach a message like this. And I can feel it even in this room. This is why we want to go down the road to the, to the, to the upbeat place. Because we don't, want to, we don't want to die to self. You know how you get crucified, uh, Brother Glenn? Well, you can't crucify yourself, can you? You pick up a hammer, you try to hammer this, this in. Russell, you can't, you can't now hold that in. I can, I can crucify these in, but I can't crucify this in. How am I going to crucify myself? When Jesus said we had to be dead with Him, that we are crucified. Are we not crucified with Christ? Are we not to be dead to the things of this world? Are we not to be dead to self? He, he who tries to save his life will, will, will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will gain it. Lose your reputation. Lose your popularity. Lose this, lose that. So we cannot crucify ourselves. So do you know how we get crucified? God puts the hammer in somebody else's hand. No, this is the part we hate. He puts the hammer in Raymond at my church's hand to crucify me. He puts the hammer in the boss that you hate at work to crucify you. He puts the hammer in that friend. He puts the hammer in that wife or that spouse. He puts the hammer in those ordinary kids and gets you crucified. That's how He does it. And yet, what do we say? I'll never go back to that church. Guess what? He's got somebody down there. He'll put the hammer in their hand. I'll leave that workplace. I can't stand it there. They're so mean. Guess what? He'll put the hammer in another one at the new workplace. I'll stay home. Well, you know what? You'll never be dead. You'll never be crucified, isolated. You can't crucify yourself. Jesus never designed it that way. Church, we've got to wake up. We've got to do Christianity God's way. We've got to get into the Bible. Do you think it was comfortable for your Savior on the cross? No, but it's not going to be comfortable for us to die to Brad or to Margaret or to Marcy or to Glenn. We have to die in order to live. Ronald Rosner said this, before you get serious about Jesus, first consider how good you are going to look on a piece of wood. Death by crucifixion. Psalms 116.15 Precious in the sight of the Lord 
is the death of one of his saints. I don't think that just means physically, although it, that's what primarily that means. But, but, and we, we all, we look at death so wrong in the Western world. That's a scripture in your Bible, folks. I didn't make that up. That, that really bothers a lot of us. That we're going to die. That our parents are going to die. That somebody's going to die. To die is gain. To die is gain, folks. If you're right with God, to die is gain. And precious in the sight of the Lord is when we finally drop this mess off of us and we're in the presence of God, redeemed forever and ever with the Lamb of glory. Amen? Complete. So we need others to help us die. Because you don't have the strength to put the spike in your own hands. But He puts the hammer in the hand of somebody near you. And if you wiggle off the cross before you die, and this happens to a lot of church people. Hear me well, please. If you wiggle off the cross before you die, and there's a lot wanting to do this, you end up with a bunch of scars and no resurrection power. And you usually end up a Pharisee and a Sadducee. If you want resurrection power and you want glory in the nations, you have to die. Jesus said, all power is given to me. But He made that statement. He made that statement and, I, and, and it happened after He is 100% dead. For resurrection, there must be death. Listen to what Philippians 2.10 says. I want to know Christ. Hallelujah! Yeah, come on. This will be the prosperity part of the message. I want to know Christ. Hallelujah! and the power of His resurrection. Amen! Amen. What's the next part say? And the fellowship of His sufferings. Ooh, get Him off the stage. Don't ever let Him come back. If you want to know Christ, really know Christ, you have to know Him in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His sufferings. Jesus' suffering was meant to bring redemption to the whole nation. And there is a knowledge, hear me well, there is a knowledge of Christ that is only obtained when we die to self. I have learned more of the depths and riches and mercy of God in some of the hardest situations and in some of the most hurtful times that I've ever been in. There is some benefit to suffering with Him. If we suffer with Him, then we will glory with Him. And I'm telling you what, there is a place in God where we can get to. And don't feel sorry for martyrs. Don't sit there and say, oh, the martyr church, how terrible. Oh, the persecuted church. Oh, no, we should be saying I have a holy jealousy towards them because they're so deep in God at another level than we could ever imagine because they have shared in the fellowship of His suffering. So we shouldn't say, how big is your church, brother? You know what we should be saying? How well are you dying? So number one, we love Jesus. Out of that, we preach the Gospel. Number three, we die. And then number four, we are forgotten. And how many people that man said that the reason that pastor got so upset about not raising that dead person was because he knew, he said, I can't trust you with my glory. 
And he said, how many people have we not been able to heal or raise or all those things because he couldn't trust us with his glory? Because of us. That he might have wanted to do that thing, but he couldn't do it. He could not do many miracles in his own hometown, right? Let me close with this. Four. Then we are forgotten. We are to be forgotten. Frank Borum in a book called uh, A Bunch of Everlasting tells a story about a man named Hugh Latimer. Anybody in here know Hugh Latimer? Forgotten, right? (laughs) Well, Latimer was born to a family of farmers who studied Latin at age of four. He studied Latin at age of four. They were a little bit smarter back then. (laughs) He went to, of course they died early too, didn't they? He went to Cambridge. He was elected a fellow Clare's uh, College. He was ordained a priest and a chaplain in 1522. He was highly against the Reformation. I promise I'm about to quit. He was highly against the Reformation. But after his conversion, listen, he became a great preacher of the British Reformation, advocating for everyone to read their Bible, which was illegal at the time when he was trying to do this. He was on the wrong side of Henry VIII, and so he got arrested. Well, then he got out of prison, but when Mary came to the throne, he was put in prison again. He was tried. He was condemned. He was burned at the stake outside of Oxford in 1555. And as Latimer was led to the stake, he famously said to his friend Nicholas Ridley, another guy who you probably have never heard of, who was the Bishop of London at that time. And here's what he said. Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Now I want you to look at that closely. Play the man. And what what that term, I had to look it up. That means like at a poker table, uh, uh, like outplay the opponent through his flaw in character. And what he says is, play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Now let me tell you what kind of candle got lit that day. Because after this man's death in 1555, this incandescent death flew this irrepressible tide of amazement. John, give me Scotland or I die Knox in 1560 came after this. John Bunyan of Pilgrim's Progress in 1678 came after this. John Newton of Amazing Grace in 1748 kept flowing and the candle kept being lit. George Whitfield preached in 1770. The Wesley brothers came who started this wonderful denomination back in 1788. William Carey going to India. India came after this in 1793. William Wilberforce abolished slavery in 1807. David Livingston came going to Africa in 1840. Charles Spurgeon in 1850. Hudson Taylor going to China in 1854. And all of these burned for Christ, lighting their dark world for the light of the candle that from the light of the candle that Latimer and Ridley so bravely lit at that stake in 1555. Love Jesus. Preach the gospel. Die and be forgotten. But in closing, and you can come up, Latimer really, you don't know this, he really was the father of the Protestant Reformation. Whether you know it or not. The fact that you're sitting in an evangelical Protestant church today means you're a spiritual descendant of that candle right there. But where did he come from in closing? 
Where did Latimer come from? There was a young man by the name of Thomas Bilney, and he was so unremarkable. So unremarkable. Listen, his nickname was Little Bilney. And, and, and he went to hear Latimer, and Latimer at this time is not converted. He's, not, he's, not, he's preaching, but he's not converted. He's in the, in, in there, and he's preaching, and, and here's what he said. I love this, I love this, I love this. Oh God, he cried, I am but little Bilney and shall never do anything great for thee. But give me the soul of that man Hugh Latimer and what wonders he shall do in thy most holy name. That's what this man determined to do. And one day Latimer is coming down from the diocese and he's in his robe and he passed by little Thomas building. And Thomas said this, Father Latimer, I have a confession. And Bilney said this. He took him in the confession booth and he said this. He said, I went to the priest and they pointed me to a broken cistern that held no water and mocked my thirst. I bore the load of my sins and my soul was crushed beneath the burden. And then I saw that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom am I am the chief. Now being justified by faith, he said, I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what happened when little Bilney, little Bilney who's nobody and nothing of no reputation says this to this father in that confessional booth. Hugh Latimer falls to his knees next to little Bilney and he gives his heart to Jesus Christ. Oh God I am but little Bilney and shall never do anything great for thee but give me the soul of that man Hugh Latimer and what wonders he shall do in thy most holy name. Folks the greatest mark of the greatest discipler is that of being forgotten. No one remembers them. No one remembers the names of these two people, but they radiate the Father's love. And when they lead somebody to Jesus Christ, Chris, that person goes further and further and further than they ever thought about going. Jesus must increase, as John said, and I must decrease. Amen? They should only remember Jesus. They shouldn't remember Bivens Chapel. They shouldn't remember Glenn Keedy. They shouldn't remember Chris McConaughey. They shouldn't remember Brookside Church of God. They shouldn't remember Brad Lindsay. But oh, let them remember Jesus. Let them remember Jesus, the one who came and died and gave himself as a ransom. So if, Brookside, we are going to disciple well, then we love Jesus, we preach the gospel. We die. And making, in making disciples, we are forgotten. We strive to be no longer remembered and make Him remembered. Because guess what? It, you striving to be remembered is so fatiguing. Striving to make Brookside Church of God into something, oh, everybody knows that church's name. So fatiguing. So foolish. Just be forgotten. Make disciples and be forgotten. Who cares if we're off in this little corner of the world where God's placed us and we just be faithful, loving Jesus, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, dying to ourselves, making disciples, and then who's Amber? Who's Brad? Being forgotten.